welcome to our Wednesday night study. We're glad y'all are here. We are starting a two-week uh, study. We've had uh, two weeks on, what was the first one? Anyone remember the first set of studies? Christian community. Very good. Does anyone remember the second set of studies? I'm sorry, what? Trinity. That's good. Would have been like really sad if y'all had already forgotten all that. Um, so yeah, th- this semester is a little bit different. Usually we go through books of the Bible in an overview sort of study, a survey study. And this semester we've decided to take a little break to hear from some other teachers in Crosspoint, especially as we're talking about spiritual gifts and people who have those gifts and need to exercise them. And, um, and we're taking a break from that to look at some foundational things or sort of some building block things of our faith that are really important that sometimes we can think we graduate away from them or up from them, but the reality is they're, they're always important. And so we're taking time to really focus in on some of those things that, like the Trinity and like community, that we can, we can become, um, we can almost view as too commonplace when, when um, there's just some really profound realities there. For the next two weeks, we're going to be going through uh, a study on how to study your Bible. It's by Howard Hendricks, Living by the Book, and I meant to bring the book in here. Does anyone actually have it with them by chance? Any overachieving individual bring that book with you? There's usually one, and I was banking on it, and now I'm bankrupt. Fantastic. Well, uh, I'll bring it next week, but the book is about that thick, and about a decade ago was the first time I taught through the book, and I did it with our students, and um, I took a few months to do it. So we're going to cover that whole book this Wednesday and next. So I was trying to figure out a way to not make the study quite the, uh, quite the drink from the fire hydrant kind of a study that it might be, and um, I, I'm not sure it's possible. So what I want you to think of tonight is we're going to be uh, looking at tools that help us to study the Bible. So imagine tonight you brought an empty toolbox. It's not empty. Everybody has ability to study. I get it. But imagine you bring an empty toolbox, and we're just filling it up. We're just filling up the toolbox, and you're going to go use that in your own studies. And so it's a lot of tools that we're going to look at tonight uh, about reading, about observing. Um, there's three steps, observation, interpretation, and, and, and application. And we're going to spend all this week on observation. So uh, we're going to pray. Before I pray, I want to make one announcement. Some of you have asked about Ben and if he's doing okay. Some of you have, may have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, ben is currently in the hospital, but he's okay. okay. No, don't freak out or anything. Um, he went in on Monday. He was having a little trouble breathing um, after one of his bike rides, and it turned out that he had what, what he thought was a cramp in his calf was actually a blood clot. And so uh, he rubbed it really hard to try to work the cramp out and sent that blood clot to his lungs. And so... Um, uh, that is, if you know Ben, that, I mean, you can see that happening. Like, you're so stubborn, you rubbed a blood clot right into your lungs. And so uh, it went to his lungs, and he's still got like 98% oxygen capacity. He's good to go. Um, he, he doesn't want to be at the hospital, as you can imagine. Um, but it's really good that he's there. He's super fortunate because, because of his background and the things that he has studied before, he actually caught it, realized what it was, drove to the doctor, told the doctor what it was, the doctor smirked and was like, well, we'll run some tests and see if this is all in your head. And it turned out to be exactly what he thought it was. And so um, he's good. He's healthy. He's going to be on blood thinners to, to work it out. Uh, your body will absorb the clots. Um, 
certainly could have been worse, but it's not. And so he's good. And, and, uh, and in fact, we had a meeting tonight, and my vote was to cancel it, and that got vetoed because he just wants to have the meeting in the hospital room. So after this study, we're going to go up there and have a leadership meeting in the, in the hospital room. So um, he, he's good, but, but we're going to pray for him tonight, and I would encourage you all to continue to pray for him. He's supposed to come home tomorrow, I think, and he's, and he's, um, he's refusing to discuss the possibility of someone else preaching, so he'll probably preach on Sunday as well. So uh, we'll pray for him, we'll pray for this study, and we'll dive in. Lord, we're thankful for this time. Uh, tonight. We're thankful to get to study um, how to read our Bibles, how to study our Bibles. Um, as we begin, we lift Ben up to you. We're just so thankful that, that you've watched over him the last couple of days and just given him a keen insight, the doctor's a keen insight, and I'm thankful that he's getting exactly what he needs. I do pray that he gets good rest as he's at the hospital, and I uh, pray that you would continue to heal him, let all the blood clots go away, and, um, and help him to get the treatment that he needs. I'm uh, very thankful for, for your provision in the last few days there. Lord, tonight we pray that you would guide us as you see fit. We love you. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Living by the Book is, is a book written by Howard Hendricks, and it's a book on how to study your Bible. There's three steps, observation, interpretation, application, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, and you're going to hear that a hundred times this week and next, because that is the thing that you cannot forget. Um, my, my first question that I'll start out with, though, is why don't people study their Bibles? What are some, some reasons that people give for not studying their Bibles? Not enough time? Overwhelming. Yeah, where do I start? Don't know how? Don't like to read? Don't understand it? Yeah, if you don't like reading, the Bible study is a hard thing. We're going to talk a lot about reading and how to read well, how to read good. So let's look at why we should study our Bibles. Uh, it's easy to find reasons to not study our Bibles, why people don't study their Bibles. Um, some other ones that I thought of outside of just sort of that don't know how, don't know where to begin. Some people just don't buy into it. I mean, some people... There are Christians that don't see the value in studying their Bibles. There are non-Christians that don't see the value in studying a Bible. And so one of the things I want to begin with tonight is looking at the value of studying our Bible, why we should study the Bible. Go to that next slide, please. Why we should study the Bible. First, you see that? Those are slides. That's right. <laughs> Bill inspired me to be better. Um, First thing is that Bible study is essential to growth. So before we talk about the methodology of studying the Bible, I, I really want to spend a couple minutes convincing you or really allowing the Bible to convince you as to why we should see it as an important thing to study. Bible study is essential to growth. Look at 1 Peter 2, 2. 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, verse 2. It says... Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So there's three things I want to look at in this verse as I'm trying to let the Bible encourage you as to why we should study it. And the first is about attitude, the second is about appetite, and the third is about aim. What does this verse reveal about attitude? 
when the, the attitude that we should have when it comes to the scriptures. What? Teachable. Teachable? Crave it. Have you ever seen a newborn baby who's hungry? They're little maniacs, right? I've got one in my house right now at 3.30 in the morning. I, I, her name's Ru, uh, Ruthie, and I call her Rooster because she gets uh, really mad and turns red, and she always wakes me up before the sun comes up. And uh, at about 3.30 every morning, she will scream, and it's just the kind of scream as though everything is wrong in the world. And then as, you, as she sees the bottle, it goes from just, just, just screaming to whatever. Ah! And it's like she, she's got what she needs. And she goes from completely freaking out to give me that to she gets it to like a calm little beautiful baby who is happy and satisfied. And you, wouldn't, you couldn't imagine how terrible her world was just a few moments before that. So as far as our attitude goes, we should be like this, this, like a baby that like when it comes to the word, the same way a newborn is like grabbing for that bottle, grabbing for the, the, the milk that they want, we should have that, that approach, the attitude towards the word where it's like, I got to have that. I can't go more than three hours apparently without it. That, that's kind of the newborn thing. And so that, that should be our attitude regarding the word. It's not something that's optional. It's not something that we're indifferent about. And, and when we have it, we're not just sort of ho-hum about it, but we're eager um, to, to draw from it what is, is, is needed for us um, in the way of nourishment. Second is appetite. Long for the word. Like newborn infants, long for the word. How do we long for the word? What does that mean? You want it, need it, you make it a priority, desire for it. Maybe you think about it when you're not in it, like it's something that's sort of, you know, thinking about longing for a loved one that you haven't seen in a long time. They're, your thoughts are there, you're eager to, to meet again. And so just this little verse shows us that we should be like a newborn baby wanting the scriptures and then our, 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 our appetite is that we should long for it. And there's this picture of acquiring and cultivating a taste for something by tasting it. Acquiring and cultivating a taste for something by tasting it. Does anyone remember the first time you ever had coffee? Was it awesome? No. Generally, if you're a little kid and your parents are drinking coffee, like caffeine fiends that many parents are, and you're like, man, they really like it. And then there's that day where you're kind of curious and you pick it up and you drink it and it tastes bitter and gross and disgusting. And to some of y'all, it still tastes like that, but you force yourself to drink it cup after cup each day. Some of you are like, I don't even like coffee. So this is a bad example because I'm supposed to like the word. Don't go there. That's not the point of this, this example. But it, coffee was sort of an example of, I don't know if anyone tastes it the first time it was like, oh, this is so fantastic and savory. Usually it's bitter and a little bit gross. But over time, it's interesting because your appetite for coffee changes because you've tasted it and your appetite increases the more you have it. 
And then you get to a point where you have to scale back and not drink as much because you have wanted so much of it. So um, with the word, hopefully you don't get to the point where you have too much of it. That's not the point of the illustration. The point of the illustration is we acquire and cultivate a taste for the word by tasting it. This is coming to, and, and when we're tasting the word, we're tasting, according to this verse, that the Lord is good. So you, you partake of it and you enjoy it and you want more of it. A lot like most of the illegal drugs, but it's not a good illustration, so I'm not going to use that. Aim. What does this say about our aim? What's, what's the aim here? Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that, it, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. What's the aim when it comes to growth through spiritual Bible, through Bible study? Say that again. To learn about God? Transformation? Maturity. Growing. Yeah. This has to do with purpose. When we approach the word, we do so with the purpose of growing. And just think of it in terms of growing over knowing. Sometimes, especially in you know, Reformed churches and things like that, um, what we know be- can even become an idol, how much we know. We want to gain more knowledge. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Ooh, I want a bigger study Bible so I can gain more knowledge. And knowledge is a good thing if you're transformed by the renewal of your mind. But the point is not to grow in knowledge. The point is, is just growing. It's growing over knowing. The Bible... Um, Hendrick says in his book, the Bible was written not to satisfy your curiosity, but to help you conform to the image of Christ. The Bible was written not just to satisfy your curiosity, but to help you conform to the image of Christ, which some of us need to hear, because sometimes we just approach it with sort of this curiosity, and we just want to learn more, and we, or we want to you know, have deeper knowledge. But knowledge can be an idol, just like anything else. So we're, we're trying to grow. It's not just about secu- um, satisfying your curiosity, but really conforming you to the image of Christ. The second thing of why we should study the Bible according to the Bible is that the Bible, um, this Bible study, is essential to spiritual maturity. Turn to Hebrews 5. It is essential to spiritual maturity. It says in 5 verse 11, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So Bible study is essential to spiritual maturity. What do you guys think is a key word in this passage? What's a key word in that passage that I just read? And there may be more than one key word, so if you say the wrong one, I won't mock you or anything. What? Maturity? Discernment? Yep. Constant practice? What do all of those things that y'all just mentioned... Have, what do they all have in common? They take place over what? Over time. Over time. You see, it says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. So there's something that happened in this passage over the course of time, or something didn't happen that was supposed to happen, but what was supposed to happen only happens over time. The mark of spiritual maturity is not how much you understand, but how much you use. And in the spiritual realm... The opposite of ignorance isn't knowledge but obedience. 
That's an important point. As we, as we spend time in the Word, the opposite of ignorance isn't just knowledge. The opposite of ignorance is obedience. We're trying to grow in a spiritual maturity, discerning things, um, discerning uh, powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And then the last one on this little part is that the that Bible study is essential to spiritual effectiveness. Turn to 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. 2 Timothy. And this is a verse that is very, very uh, central to all of, this, um, all of this study for the next two weeks. And it's one that I would actually encourage you all to memorize if you don't already have it memorized. 2 Timothy 3.16. Because when we're talking about the Bible and the importance of it, this is, this is a central verse that we all need to know. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Does anyone want to read that out loud? Go for it. What are some important conclusions that we can draw from this passage about the Bible and its being essential to a spiritual effect, to spiritual effectiveness? What are some things that jump out? It's breathed out by God. If we believe that every time we come to this word, it has an effect. It has an effect on our expectations. It has an effect on the seriousness with which we read it. Sometimes if we forget that, we read things as a suggestion, as if maybe we will or maybe we won't do that, right? We'll look at things like, um, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And we have thoughts like, maybe I'll try that. Maybe I'll try to let no corrupting talk come out of my mouth. When the reality is, the scriptural mandate is, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So if we see this as breathed out by God, it changes everything. What else are some important conclusions we can draw from that passage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, if you, especially if you have your Bible reading plans and you're going through them and you get to, um, you know, Leviticus is hard because there's so much blood. Numbers is hard because numbers are hard. And then you have all these genealogies and it's just like, okay, God, I spent 10 minutes trying to figure out how to say these names in my head of people that I don't even really know who they are. Why, why, why? And what you come to as you read that and you understand as read that by God, you're like, these are people. These are his people. And frankly, every one of these genealogies has something to do with the story of Christ and what led to a baby being born who was of a certain descent. And so um, uh, this picture of um, all scripture being breathed out by God, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, Correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or competent, equipped for every good work. Some of the different ones say different things. Um, if you're not thinking correctly, you're not living correctly. So it's about growing more than it is knowing, but I'm not trying to downplay knowing because if you're not thinking correctly, you're not living correctly. The way you think about things 
um, is, uh, or will determine how you behave. What you believe determines how you behave. And so if someone's behaving poorly, like let's say you have a kiddo that's behaving poorly, well, you can just correct the behavior. But there's always a heart issue behind the behavior. And that heart issue has to do with belief, and it has to do with the belief that's connected to a desire. And so what we see here is that what you believe will absolutely determine how you behave. And so we have to have the scriptures, and we have to see that they're read out by God so that we can know um, what to do so that we're competent and ready for good work. When you, if you don't have the word, you're not ready for the good work. If you've neglected the word, you're incompetent is what's being um, communicated here. How do you think that correction comes through studying the Bible? It says it's, it's, it's good for correction. It convicts you. Did anyone else have a different thought other than it convicts you? Yeah. Yeah. The first time I read this, my first thought was, oh, this gives me what I need if I ever find myself in the, in the realm of correcting someone else. And it took me quite some time to get to the point where I realized all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for reproof and correction that, oh, maybe some of that correction is toward me. Like I, I thought in terms of if I ever have to correct someone, I got to have the word. But what this is also revealing is that when you study the scriptures, the right way, you will find yourself convicted about things that need to be corrected. And you will find correction needed in your life that you would otherwise not have. Paul Tripp has a great quote that I, I've said it a lot. And it's, um, it's, your view of yourself is as accurate as a carnival mirror. And you need God's people to hold up the mirror of the word so that you can have an accurate view. And so whether it's someone else holding up the word or you in your personal you know, devotions and studies, there is a, a correction that happens in your life that you would not have stumbled upon otherwise. I, I, I'll be reading things and be like, like this morning, I, I was reading uh, with the guys in prayer time about just um, Psalm 21 because today's the 21st. It's nothing deep or profound. That's how I do the Psalms. And so it was just about the king, David, who was looking and marveling at the strength of God and how everything he has is because of God's strength. I was just like, man, I don't, when I have all these burdens that I carry around, I don't normally think about the strength of God first. And the strength of God is something I need to pay more attention to. I'll, I've thought about the sovereignty of God a lot, that he's, 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 he knows, or the, you know, he's, he's all-knowing, and I know that. But just that strength that David so marveled at was something that convicted me. And it, and it brought about some, some measure of correction. It brings attention to things that weren't previously on your radar. And, and, it's, and it's something that wouldn't be on your radar if you weren't studying the Bible. One of the principles of this study is that effective Bible study requires a method. Effective Bible study requires a, a method. This method has been compared to a set of tools that increase in their usefulness as the skill of the craftsman increases. Uh, I like doing woodworking, um, but I would not consider myself a craftsman. I have some really cool tools in my shop, and the first time that I tried to use them, the things that I built were janky and cattywampus. And I was like, man, I got this awesome tool, the saw joiner, table saw, routers, and the bits, and the bit sets, and man, it's all good, and I pl I, I, everything's square, and, I, and then I put something together, and I'm like, well, that looks like a preschool project. What in the world did I do? And the issue was, I had these awesome tools, but I really didn't know how to use them yet. 
And so it took some time to use the tools. And so this study, this method that we're looking at this week and next week, um, is a lot about um, getting these tools and then learning how to use them over time because like any craftsman, the better you become with a tool, if you watch some woodworkers use like old hand tools and you watch how they apply them, you're just like, that is an art form. You can't, there's no one who can just pick that up and do what that person just did. If you watch someone play guitar that has worked on it for a long time, it's like, that is like an art form. You can't just pick it up and do that the first time. It takes time to figure out how to use the tools. So this is like a set of tools that increases in their usefulness as the skill of the craftsman increases. Another way to think about it is that scripture doesn't yield its fruit to the lazy. Scripture does not yield its fruit to the lazy. As we're talking about the motivation behind studying scripture, it doesn't yield its fruit to the lazy. It takes work, just like anything else that would be fruitful in your life. Just like if you had a garden where you were growing fruit. The ultimate aim of the study is to know God. It's not just to grow in knowledge, it's to grow in knowing God. Look at Proverbs 8 before we dive into the method. Proverbs 8, verse 34. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. There's this promise here in this proverb that God promises to honor your diligence in the word. Anytime you sit, anytime you speak the word, you can know that it's not going to return void. And anytime you sit to study the word, you can know that God promises to reward that diligence. He, he rewards it with himself, with a, a greater closeness to himself. So God promises to honor your diligence in the word. It is never a futile, ridiculous, silly endeavor to sit and study your Bible or to encourage your children to do the same thing or to take time away from something else that may seem important because you need time in the Word. So here's our method. Throw that next sli- uh, the next slide up. Observation, interpretation, and application. With those three steps, you can effectively study any single part of the Bible. The parts that are narratives that may be more familiar, the parts that are in the Old Testament that may seem more obscure to you, these three steps have absolutely changed my life as far as how I study the Word. I started out uh, you know, 13 years ago working with students and leading worship, and um, we, we were going to start a Bible study, and thankfully, someone older than me, and I don't remember even who it is, I think it may have been Ron Perone talked about this book, Living by the Book, by Howard Hendricks. And he was like, maybe before studying the Bible, it'd be, it'd be fruitful to spend some time with the youth talking about how you study your Bible. And, you know, in my arrogant early 20s self, I was like, well, if you think it'll help, you know, maybe the children could use that, you know. And, uh, and I'm telling you, once we launched off into it, I realized, man, there is a world of Scripture that I had not really gotten to peer into because I was... I was using like my, my kitty toolbox, like the toolbox that I had when I was a kid. And I didn't know um, what was available to me um, as I dug into the Word. And so uh, it was a pretty um, significant time in my life, and I'm pretty passionate about this um, because anybody can do this. Like I've walked through this with youth. I've shown this to my children. 
I've talked to people who are far further along in their lives, and it works for everybody. Observation, interpretation, application. We're going to spend the rest of tonight just talking about observation, and we're going to look at interpretation, application, and work with a few verses next week. But the, the short of all three of them is observation is what do I see? Interpretation is what does it mean? And application is how does it work? Um, the reason I want you to see these as separate steps that you do in a particular order is because all too often we read a passage of Scripture and, tr- and quickly jump to what does this mean for me before we ever ask, answer the question, what does it mean? How many times have you looked at a piece of Scripture or you're, you're seeking out God's will? You've got like a decision to make and you just jump in the Word wherever. You're like, I don't know. Uh, here, that's the Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, Zechariah, in the eighth month, Okay, August is going to be big. August is going to be big. And it's like we just kind of jump to this sort of, um, what does this mean for me, before we've ever considered the context of what it's saying, before we figure out what it's saying to us. And so these steps, observation, interpretation, application, what do I see, then what does it mean, and then how does it work, or what does it mean to me? The short of observation in this question, what do I see, We're looking at terms, important words, things that are repeated. We're looking at structures, grammatical and literary structures. Oh, man, everyone's getting fired up now, right? Literary forms, is is it allegory? Is it poetry? Is it narrative? Is it a parable? What is it? And the atmosphere, the context of the original text. There's something that you've probably heard me say a lot over the years as we read something. It's especially helpful in... in, uh, you know, in narratives and, and even in, in, in poetry and things like that where we're in scripture, is import your senses. Like, put yourself in the situation. If, you're, if they're in the boat and everyone's wigging out or there's 5,000 people being fed by a you know, little boy's lunch, what would that look like? What would it sound like? What would it smell like? What would that lunch taste like? Import your senses into that setting to, to gain better observation as to what's going on. Um, observation more particular Um, turn to Psalm 119 I cannot stress enough how important observation is Psalm 119 verse 18 Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. This is the psalmist praying to God for the ability to observe. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. The psalmist is praying for the powers of observation. Sherlock Holmes has a quote where he says, You see, but you do not observe. You see, but you do not observe. Seeing is not the same thing as observing, but in observing, we're trying to figure out what we see. Observing is deeper than seeing. Consider the following examples, just just a little exercise as we dig into what observation is and trying to get a sense of it. (coughs) Does anyone have a stairway that they walk every single day? Can you raise your hand? Like Sonic, okay. Every single day, stairway, okay. How many stairs are on that stairway? 13. Like 20-something. 
That was more the answer I was expecting. Although I'm not surprised you knew that it was 13, to be honest. I, that's something you do every day, right? You see them every day. But observation is different. Because you, you, you do that probably multiple times a day. And a lot of times you don't know even how many steps there are. But they're part of the steps of every day. You see it, but you don't observe it. How many lights do you pass on the way to work? You pass them every day. Sometimes multiple times a day. It used to be one for me. And then they made the bridge wider and, you know, it got crazy from there. It's like three now. Maybe four if I go a certain way. How many lights do you pass on the way to work? Think of someone you live or work with closely. Someone you work closely with or someone that you live with. What color are their eyes? There's a couple of spouses trying to earn brownie points right now around the room. I just saw it happen. <laughs> They're beautiful and brown. Yeah. <laughs> Think about someone you work with, not your spouse. What color of shirt were they wearing last time you saw them? Can you answer that question? Don't get weird about it. But could you answer that question? Observation is bigger than just seeing. We see things all the time, but to really retain it, to really consider it, is, is what observation is. When it comes to observation, ultimately what we're going to consider in this study is we have to learn how to read. We have to learn how to read. Now, you might be thinking, okay, thanks. Uh, I can read. Thanks a lot for that. But, but what I've learned over the years is no matter how good of a reader I become, no, how, no matter how quickly I read, no matter how many books I knock out for you know, seminary or whatever else or preparing for a sermon... I can always become a better reader. And becoming a better reader is absolutely essential in this part of this method for studying the Bible. We have to learn how to read. Hendricks has a note that says, and consider this. I mean, think about what this is saying. Our culture has made a radical shift in the last century from a word-based society of readers to an image-based society of viewers. We've made a shift from a word-based society of readers to an image-based society of viewers. There's articles about how the, uh, you know, with our first presidents or our first number of presidents, like, no one knew what they looked like. Like, you, you would know about them by what they wrote, usually, or other people would read it or you would read what they wrote, but for a lot of, you know, the first presidents, no one knew what they looked like. There weren't cartoons, you know, caricaturizing your, the presidents and, or the people running for president. A word-based society of readers to an image-based society of viewers. And on 11 different occasions in the scriptures, Jesus said to the most well-read people of his time, have you never read? Like, that's not an image-based society of viewers that Jesus is talking to. And he said this to the most well-read among them, have you never read? And what he was getting at was not that they didn't read, but that they didn't understand what they were reading. That they had read it, maybe they, maybe they had memorized it, but they still weren't actually observing and understanding what his father was saying to them. So here's 10 strategies for reading. This is where it becomes a little bit more uh, fire hydrant-ish as far as what we're taking in. Next, next slide. 10 strategies for reading. There they are. Read thoughtfully. This means, you know, like, 
not at the end of the day when you're already in bed and in your jammies and under the covers and it's dark and you're going to get a little light and you're going to try to get your word time in for the day. You're not going to read very thoughtfully if you're exhausted. You're not going to read very thoughtfully if you haven't actually you know, set yourself up to succeed in what you're reading. A lot of times, um, or sometimes, I don't know if it's a lot, people will read at the end of the day and they'll like fall asleep reading the Bible. And that can seem like a very spiritual and noble endeavor, but you fell asleep reading the Bible. So was that a real thoughtful and wonderful, effective time for you? Uh, you're resting in the Word. Yes, sure. Um, the Bible must be read to be understood. We read it to understand it. So we have to read thoughtfully. If you're not a quick note taker, hold your phone up, take a picture of the screen, and you'll have it forever. Remember, we're an, we're an image-based society of viewers, so you don't even have to write this down anymore. That's not true. Write it down. The Bible must be read to be understood. This involves study. Remember what that Proverbs 18, there's a promise in there that God will always reward your time in the Word. But there's also a warning embedded within the promise that the Bible does not yield its fruit to the lazy. Sometimes we'll sit and, um, sorry, Barbara Underwood's taking a picture with her cell phone. I love it. It makes my day that you are taking a picture with your cell phone. I'm sorry to call you out. I apologize. Forgive me. I love you, Barbara. Um, the Bible doesn't yield its, its, its fruit to the lazy. And so um, sometimes we'll sit down and just expect something quickly to happen when we, or we'll start new study times or new, uh, new devotionals. Like, okay, I'm going to get more spiritual and I'm going to start a devotional. And then like day one comes and goes and you're like, well, that wasn't very effective. I don't feel wildly different. And I spent five minutes with God this morning. And, and it just, it, it takes time and it takes, it takes an ability to read thoughtfully because our goal is not just checking a block, but our goal is understanding the Bible. The second one is read repeatedly. Read repeatedly. Read repeatedly. The Bible has staying power. It can stand up to repeated exposure. You go deep, it goes deeper. Consider different translations. We got a whole bunch of ESV snobs up in this church. We all know about it. ESV's great, but like, like you could read some NIV or even some NLV or even New King James, or even the message, which doesn't even have numbers for verses, like the original text did. Um, it, it didn't. The original text didn't have the verse numbers. Huh? No, that, that wasn't how it worked. But, but we, have to, we have to consider other translations because it gives you sort of a different perspective. You know, Four people see a car crash, and they're standing on different corners, and they tell you what happens. They're going to have a different perspective. And sometimes these different translations... Um, don't necessarily share a different perspective, but they use different words that give you a more insightful perspective. It gives you better observation. There's lots of times where, you know, it, for me to go from the ESV to the original language, I stop off at the King James Version because I can use the King James Version in my software to then go to the original Greek or, or Hebrew or whatever. And I'll, I'll see something. That there's, a, there's a word that I was like, oh. Like simplicity versus um, something else. And the, the word simplicity jumps out. Um, simplicity, when we're talking about generosity, those who give, give generously. The word generously in the King James is actually simply. And when you look at what that simplicity is, it kind of gives a new, more robust perspective to what it means to generously give. And so it's good to look at different translations, sometimes audio. How many of you spend more than an hour in the car going back and forth to work? 
man, redeem that time. That time has to be redeemed. I mean, you can end up spending like lots of hours a year just frustrated at all the terrible drivers and the crummy roads. And you could redeem that time by audio, to listen to scripture audio, and then just reading it out loud. There's times where I'm sitting there reading something. I'm like, okay, what is this? Okay, what is this? And then I'll read it out loud or, um, or I'll be like helping my kids with homework. And they're like, I don't understand this. I was like, read it. I still don't understand it. Like, read it out loud. And then they'll read it and say, oh, I'm supposed... And there's just something about reading it out loud that sometimes triggers things that otherwise are kind of left sitting there um, uh, untriggered. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 7. Uh, you can turn there if you'd like. I'll, I'll read it out loud when I get there. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 7. If you're not turning there, write it down in your notes because you need to go back and consider it. it says... You shall teach them diligently. This is, hear, O Israel, this is the Shema, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So the words of God, you shall teach them, the words, diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. I would ask, is your home one where your children hear mom and dad reading the word, speaking the word out loud, talking about the word, not assuming that they got what they needed on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning? You are the main disciple maker in the life of your child. You do not allow the church to just fulfill that role. We, we certainly walk with each other, but you are the main disciple maker in the life of your child. And when it comes to the word, it's good to read it repeatedly in our homes. Also consider a, a Bible reading plan, as we're talking about reading repeatedly, and personal devotions. We cannot say that something is genuinely a priority if it's not on our schedules and there's no plan. Like, like I couldn't say, let's not be hypothetical, I can't say physical fitness is super important to me if I have no plan to do anything remotely related to physical fitness this week. If there's like nothing on my schedule, like go for a run at this time, go for a ride at this time, go to the gym, put the donut down, whatever it might be. If there's no plan, no actual like, I'm going to move in this, I, you can't say it's a priority. Because if it's a priority, it's going to be reflected in your, in your schedule and a lot of times in your budget. So, Consider getting a devotional. Consider a, reading a psalm plan. Consider the McShane reading plan. Um, consider any devotional. A lot of times we think that we like graduate from devotionals, and you don't. Devotionals are not light fare. You hear us say that we're not going to give a little devotional from the pulpit. The reason is, is that that's not the place for it. You're not going to hear devotionals from the pulpit because that's the place to unpack the word verse by verse and what we believe is the best approach of expository preaching. So to share a devotional from, from just a devotional of the word from the pulpit is not really the best place for it. But that doesn't mean that devotionals aren't important and you've graduated from them. I need a devotional. I need something tangible that helps me to be disciplined enough to spend some time in the word every day. Not time preparing for teaching. Time for, for me and the Lord to spend time together in the Word. So read repeatedly. Get a devotional or reading plan. The third one is read patiently. We're going to move a little more quickly. Did you see how that happened? Read patiently. The fruit of the Word takes time to ripen. 
So what are some things that we do? What are some things that we do when we lack patience with the word? Yeah. Like you read the verse and then you jump to someone else's thoughts about it before you ever have your own thoughts with it. So you can jump too, too quickly to another outside resource. What are some other things we do when we lack patience with the word? Just put it away. What else? Skip over it? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense the first time I read it, so it must not make any sense at all. It's breathed out by God. That's that important verse that we need to remember. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to take the time to figure out what the context of the verse is. And so we just look at the verse and try to assume a bunch of stuff and, and move on from it. Like a marathon, um, I remember when I was training for my first and only half marathon. Half marathon, not a, not a real one. Um, uh, if you're going to, to go for longer, you're going to have to slow down. That was one of the first lessons I learned. It was my first four-mile run, and I'd been doing three-mile runs. And I'm booking it, and I'm at mile two at the furthest point from my house, and I realize I have made a mistake. <laughs> this is not good. And I realized if I was going to go for longer, I was going to have to slow down. And it was sort of this profound moment that was both physically exhausting and, and spiritually satisfying, where I was like, yeah, I get it, God. I get it. You got you to pace yourself. You got to slow down. And so it takes patience when we're studying the Word. Be patient with the text and be patient with yourself. Sometimes we'll we'll be so impatient with ourselves because we read something and we're like, this is breathed out by God and I'm unaffected. It's like, yeah, but you've been doing stuff all day or maybe you have a bunch of kids or maybe it's been a hard day. It, maybe it takes some time to just sit and pray and meditate over it and allow yourself the time you need to, to, be, to gain insight and be closer to God through his word. The next is read selectively. Think in terms of using the right bait to catch the fish. When you read selectively, you're, okay, let's look now at who, what, when, where, and wherefore, or you say, so what. Um, it, you, you think of yourself as an investigator. Did anybody watch the new Jean Benet investigation thing on TV? Oh, great. Me and my wife are the only weirdos. Uh, we, were, we were entrenched in it. These, investiga these investigators, 20, it's the 20-year anniversary, um, these investigators went back and looked at all of the evidence uh, with a new set of eyes and newer technology that wasn't there 20 years ago. And they just dug into the case as if it happened yesterday. And that's a good example of how we should be with the word. Just go dig into it. Like you can't bombard it with enough questions. Like one of the, one of the exercises they have in seminary is, you know, okay, here's a verse. Come back with 30 observations of the verse tomorrow. Like, well, 30 observations. It's like 15 words. Okay. It's like, good, good job. Okay, come back with 30 observations the next day too. Okay, come back with 30 observations. And before, it, before you know it, you're like begging, just what is some other observation? And, but, but over time, you realize, oh my goodness, there's more here. There's more connections here. Oh, that reminds me of this. Oh, I'm, I, I want to consider this now. And you read and you look at these, you know, look at the terms of who, what, when, where, and why as an investigator, and, and the scripture will yield its fruit to you. Read prayerfully. Um, turn scripture into prayer. We did it today at prayer time. We, we talked about everything that we have going on, and rather than everyone in the room praying about every item on the list, 
I read Psalm 21, just because today's the 21st, and we were able to pray that scripture, the strength of God, the provision of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God on all these things that were burdening us because God allows us to let our requests be made known to him. So pray the scriptures, read prayerfully as you go through them, read imaginatively. Different versions of scripture can stimulate the imagination in a unique way paraphrase what you've read. You do this with your kids if you're helping them with homework. Okay, that doesn't make any sense to you. Put it in your own words. And then all of a sudden, they're having to think in a different way, and it uses your imagination. Vary your setting. If you're studying a piece of scripture that's by water, try to find some water. Turn the sink on, whatever. And just try to um, import your senses there. Read imaginatively and listen, or listen to someone else read it out loud. Um, you'll be amazed at how helpful that is if you've never done that. The seventh thing is read meditatively. Time is exactly what it takes to become holy, and you cannot become holy in a hurry. Biblical meditation is directly linked to acting upon the Word in Joshua 1.8. Write it in your notes and take a look at it later. Biblical meditation is directly linked to acting upon the Word. We fill our minds with God's truth. Consider Romans 12, we're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we are not conformed to the world. So read meditatively. Don't just read it. Read it and sit and think about it. Just let the truth fill your mind in place of all the other things that might be filling your mind. Read purposefully. Again, all scriptures breathed out by God. There's a purpose in every single word. If we're going to be good observers of scripture... We have to look at the verbs because every verb is God's verb and he has a point with it. Every subject is God's subject. Every object is God's object. Every modifier is God's modifier. Every prepositional phrase is God's prepositional phrase. Every connective is God's connective. Every structure is God's structure. Literary structures, grammatical structures, historical structures. We pay attention to those things, not because we're trying to be heady and smarter than the next guy, but because these are breathed out by God. Read acquisitively. We're not reading just to receive it, but to retain it. We don't read it just to receive it, but to retain it. We're not merely perceiving, but maintaining what we read. Remember, he says, think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding. Scripturally, this implies that anything worth listening to is worth thinking about. And just because you heard it doesn't mean you've, li- you've thought about it enough. Every Sunday, it is not enough for you to just hear the sermon. You have to leave and go think about it. And it says that God gives you understanding. And the last one is read telescopically. View the parts in light of the whole. What is the big picture? An example, we studied John for eight years. What's the point of John? That's reading telescopically. Like if you spend eight years in John and you can't say what the point of John is, that you may believe that John 21 is central to it, if you, if you don't know that after eight years of study, you have missed something. We've spent a lot of time in Hebrews. What was the main point? That's reading telescopically. That's big picture. We spent, I think, 12 weeks now in spiritual gifts. What's the main point of the spiritual gifts? Those are questions that we have to ask along the way, and if we find that we can't answer those kinds of questions, we can see that we need to read more telescopically, viewing the parts in light of the whole. Always pay attention to the context, evaluate passages in light of the book as a whole, and look at the historical context of the book. Like someone said earlier, in Scripture, the basic unit of study is not the verse. The basic unit of study is not the verse. The basic unit of study is not the chapter. 
The basic unit of study is the paragraph. That's something we're going to look at a little more next week. We're going to look at a paragraph together. The paragraph represents a complete thought, which makes it really ideal for observational study. Six things to look for in closing. Next slide. Six things to look for. Look for things that are emphasized, things that are repeated, things that are related, things that are alike, things that are not alike, and things that are true to life. We'll start with this next week as we're, as we're transitioning over to interpretation. But those are six things to look for as you're observing. The last thing this, um, this, this evening, as the children are coming through the wall, literally, is always summarize your observations. Always summarize your observations. <coughs> it's not enough just to have pages of observations. You've got to do something with it. And when you summarize your observations, then and only then are you ready to move to those next steps of interpretation and application. We're still on step one of Bible study. Here's the reality. If you study the scriptures in this manner, you're going to spend maybe 80 or even 90% of your time in observation. The more time you spend in observation, the less time you spend in the other two, but the clearer interpretation you'll have and the clearer application you'll have. But if you spend a very little time in observation, you're going to be spinning your wheels trying to figure out your interpretation and application. You're going to be just spitballing all over the place trying to figure out what it means and what it means to you because you didn't spend enough time looking at the things that God has given us to look at. So spend a, the most time in observation. If you're studying your Bible, spend the most time observing what's going on and then always summarize those observations to move to the next part. Let's pray. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised and you've given us your word breathed out by you, profitable for reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that we would be competent and equipped for every good work. Lord, my prayer is that through this study, we would be more competent and more equipped for the work you call us to. I pray that you would give everyone in here ample time this week to really spend time in your word, growing closer to you and observing the beauties that you've given us through your word. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.